Did you fucking dare? Pianos? <laughs> and they're like, yes. Watching you on Instagram is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh shit. How am I gonna fit more here? Was your uh, point here to just make me feel like shit? This is trash. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the, how is this good? I know exactly what you're saying. I can't. I don't even know what to say. Why? It's the most insane thing I've ever. Why? It's the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. Why? It's just insane. It's amazing. Fuck that. We're gonna get it done. I was Black Friday. <laughs> well, we're not quite at Black Friday yet. We're we're Black Friday week. Right. Um, this is the. I was. Two years ago, if, I, if this was me, I would have been like completely hopped up on Adderall, haven't slept in like a few weeks. And now that I'm doing software and not direct to consumer stuff, I'm a lot more relaxed. But we launched like our first, we didn't launch a Black Friday deal last year just because it felt like a distraction. But this year, I mean, to be fair, we weren't planning on launching a Black Friday deal. I thought of it at noon yesterday and by five we had it out. Um, and we're just selling essentially add-ons at like a steep discount. So it's going well. We launched it this morning, go to Monday. I know you always launch like a pretty big Black Friday deal. I'm yeah. Sure. I was playing with like your your website today. You can like save like $460,000. You can <laughs> get on it. Expires Friday. Yeah. We, I mean, I think like as a software company, the biggest fear is you offer a Black Friday deal and you cannibalize some portion of your business. Um, so we've, it's hard to kind of like tiptoe that line. I think you did a good job by doing like an add on where, you know, it's a new product and, and it's not going to like pull a ton of customers initially. Did you force people to go annual with it? We didn't force people to go annual with it, but what we did do, so what we're selling is like spider credits. So we have this product called spider that allows you to track every single ad that a competitor launches on meta. And so we sell it in our base subscription, you get either two or five brands, depending on what tier you're in. And then we sell expansion packs at 10, 20, 30, 50. And so we're discounting those expansion packs. Um, around 30%, if you get the highest one, it's 50% on annual. Mm. And we actually, we also, we have, we throw it, we thrown it out, but no one's, uh, bought it yet. It's like a $5,000 lifetime deal unlimited. And, um, but one thing that we did do is we, we didn't offer any discounts on the lowest package. So, oh, it's just there. No. So, so for example, like in the app, you can select a 10 pack. But on the Black Friday deal, we only offered it for 20, 30, 50 right. to get that. Because like, it was like, if we're going to discount the 10 pack, it's almost just like, no, not, not worth, worth it, it for right. us. Um, and so, yeah, that's the way we did it. I think we did the discounting in a way that's pretty solid to like nudge people up. Like the only way to get 50% off is to get the highest uh, spider pack on annual. And so, yeah, I think we like positioned it pretty well for like a couple hours of work. And it's like brought in some cash. And I think there's a lot of people that wanted to expand this part of the product, but the thing with this upsell is it quickly like can eclipse the price of their base right. subscription. And so I think there's a lot of like hesitation there. It's, you know, you're used to paying X amount for this software company. And even if like it's completely valuable, you, it, there is like a hurdle to get over being like, oh, this expansion is going to cost more than their base. Money. Right. So I think, I think this is like a good step forward and like the more people that are using it and expanding, um, you're just going to lead product led for it as a product. So I'm, I'm excited for it. How's your Black Friday going? It's okay. Um, I mean, I think in early years, it felt like such a crazy time because like we weren't used to doing high revenue numbers. And so when it came in, it was like amazing. I think we focused the business a lot on like locking in MRR deals. And when people go over on their plans, like we're more proactive about reaching out now. And so like most people are more fit into plans that fit, fit them. 
Um, but I think there are buyers that know we do Black Friday every year and just kind of like wait for it. So um, what's the biggest contract that's come through on from Black Friday right now? Do you know? Right now it's thirty five hundred dollars. Okay. Like annual? Like or just that because it's just Yeah, it's tax, both right? credits. Okay, but cool. yeah, I mean that's from someone that buys like relatively often. But we'll see. I mean, I was talking to someone on the team about this today where like it's usually not the first email that that gets them. Like you see it and then it's like they forward it to someone else on their team or like, should we do this or look into they this? They need to get a card from their boss. Yeah, like stuff yeah. like that. So I think um, actually on Friday when you nudge them on the actual day is when people are most... We technically have the countdown timer going until Monday right now. Just like yeah. all the way to- I'm not sure if we have that, but yeah, we usually go to the end of like Cyber Monday. Right. It's kind of interesting for us too because like a lot of our customers are like D2C brands. So like a lot of them are probably not even checking their email. They're like deep in right. the thick of it. I remember when I was running Black Friday for Nomadic Fabrics, like my old e-commerce brand, it was like, it was like my favorite time of the year, but it was also like the most miserable time of the year. Like a lot of D2C brands, they kind of make up all of their profit in November, December of the year. And so I remember the last Black Friday we had done before we sold the company is um, it didn't go well. And it was just like, wow, okay, like this really fucking sucks. And I remember like, there was just so many changes happening to Facebook ads. Like you just weren't able to acquire customers cold anymore on from Facebook on Black Friday without like a crazy CPA. And I remember one year what I did was I was just like, fuck, like we're actually getting fucked right now. This is this is horrible. And I was like, I, I, I kind of have to do something. And so what I did was I just went on our Nomadic Fabrics like Instagram account, which had like a couple hundred thousand followers. And I just like started a live video. And I spent probably like 16 hours straight on live selling like qvc style that's hilarious so it was like and, I, and it like brought in like so much money like because what's cool about live at the time too is like when instagram lives were like really new so everybody was getting notifications that we were live and what was funny is like we had this brand that was positioned to like middle american mothers yeah you know and then it was just like this like 22 year old kid hopping on <laughs> being like and then there, there was no like face to the brand like i didn't do yeah. any like founder led stuff so it was kind of out of the blue and yeah, we were giving like live discounts being like, okay, Sharon, like, and so what we were doing is we were telling people to fill up their cart with what they wanted from the company and then send a screenshot over DMs. And then we had someone on the DMs. And then what we would say is like, we're going to give you a custom discount only for your cart. Hmm. And so it was like incredibly felt. And it was just like their name with like a number behind it. That's cool. And so it was just like, we're like, okay, Sharon from fucking Wisconsin. And she would just like fill up her cart with like $500 worth of stuff. And then based on like how much they were ordering, we would just be okay. And we would give them like a custom discount. And mm. it worked really well. And that was before like all of these live shopping apps kind of popped up. Yeah, that's what I was. First of all, I love QVC. Like, QVC is crazy. It is so funny to watch. I like I, one of my friends, like we sit and watch QVC because it's like, they are slinging the shittiest products. Like we saw one for like a ladder mm-hmm. and they were like, oh my God, this is incredible. And it was like, this is an angle of something before. And this is an angle of the photo I took while on the ladder. It's like, yeah, we know ladders <laughs> are like higher than the ground. So it's like, it's just so funny. They're like their sales tactics. And it's like the same thing over and over again. But have you seen that like Chinese, like this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like QVC. It's like a live shopping thing where it's this Chinese girl and she pulls up products for no joke, three seconds. Dude, it, the video is so funny. She a box comes up. 
She quickly opens it, holds up like a dress, yeah. throws it back in the box, goes next item, and she's like, and on there's for just like hours. links in the chat. And yeah, and it's just like wow. it's linked, and it's like if you like that, you click. And I guess people just like sit and watch, and it's just like, like just seeing whatever they choose to put. In I've front heard of this. So when I was actually at Tony Robbins, they had a they had one lady there that was like speaking as like one of the speakers of like success stories of people who went to go see Tony. And it was like this woman, I can't remember her name. I was like, I was like, I don't know who this person is, but the whole like stadium like erupted is like this big makeup woman. Okay. Um, and she was trying to get on QVC for a while. And so she, she find, and she actually had a pretty cool story of like QVC like kept, it was like this one guy that was running kind of new product QVC that kept um, denying her. Um, and then he ended up moving on and then she got in. And she was just like, it's crazy. Like you have to front all of your inventory. So she's like, we didn't have cash. We had to front load like 10,000 units. And then you have to like figure out what you're going to say and all that kind of stuff. And then what she was saying, and she's like, oh, and then I got there in the day of like my QVC uh, presentation. And then they told her that if you're not hitting the sales numbers to like, if you're not trending to sell out at like one minute, two minute, three, whatever it is, they cut you <laughs> and it'll just like take it off. So it's like, if you don't come out hot, like they actually just move on to the next thing. And she ended up selling out, which was really cool. And she had this kind of really cool uh, full circle moment where she ended up hiring the per that, like that guy that kept denying her when she got in after he had left, he, she now, he like now works for her, That's which is that's like a smart. pretty cool. Um, yeah. Pretty cool story. But yeah, it's, I it's, it's awesome hearing like, cause it is like, we t think about, these like digital brands and stuff like that. But there are still like these juggernauts of distribution that I think will also be replaced by something. You're right. And so I think it's interesting to think about all of these like what sort is of the like next tactics, QVC? what is the next QVC? And I think it is going to be like TikTok or, or like live shopping through one of these platforms. Um, Cause I think product discovery is like an interesting thing. Like I'm not a massive consumer. Like I don't actually like, I don't like buying things. I like buying the best thing, but I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, just like buying things. Right. So, I like buying things. You like buying things. <laughs> Watching you on Instagram is the most insane thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I remember when, when I was running Facebook ads and we would look at um, customer journeys and then we would I would find these like people that would be like, viewed one ad, visit site for 35 seconds, spent $1,000. And I used to think like, who the fuck <laughs> is this person? And then I met you and I realized, <laughs> oh, like you actually don't open up Instagram without pur purchasing something. <laughs> I, like, I buy a lot. I actually just bought something off an Instagram ad today. Yeah, dude, um, I, that's what I'm saying. You don't open up Instagram without buying yeah, something. <laughs> no, it's, I do. Um, so it's funny when you said the full circle thing, it made me think. So I was listening to a story uh, I think it was Sony and Sony put out like their first camera and they had this guy that I guess was like very passionate. I should find it and like research it for a future episode, but they found this guy that was like super passionate about photography and he would basically just mail Sony like so much feedback like, yeah. like, Hey, this, this, you know, I don't like how this button is here or whatever. They end up hiring him as literally a full-time, what's the word? Like um, when you give negative feedback, like a full-time critic. Okay. So he's just like Sony's full-time critic. And he ended up through that job, knowing the product like so intimately and looking into the product so intimately, he ends up becoming the CEO of, of Sony one day. Have you ever, um, have, do you know what Sony's first product ever was? If you had to guess. If I had to guess. Assuming it's not a camera. Um, um, I don't know. Something for audio. Maybe like 
You're absolutely wrong. Okay. Sony's first product was a rice cooker. Really? That is like that looks so, like a sauna bowl. It li- it's literally like a wooden bowl that plugs into some janky electrical outlet, <laughs> and it was funny. a rice cooker. Sony's first product was a rice cooker. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Like that's it's like an amazing brand that's like built so much, and now they have it's like a massive company that has some like of these media and some of these. I saw a TikTok that was like talking about Yamaha and it's like a, you know those like fake board meetings it's like yeah. okay guys like what are we gonna make and, and then one guy's like oh we're gonna do like we're gonna do like the fastest motorcycles like yeah. sport bikes yeah. in the world and they're like okay okay good I like it I like what we're thinking like what else are we gonna make and some other guys like pianos <laughs> and they're like yes <laughs> I think what's cool about these companies that are older companies they're larger and they're completely vertically integrated is that their competency actually isn't always like product and stuff like that it's like actually like manufacturing and engineering yeah and so it's it's pretty cool like seeing these like massive companies be like okay yeah yeah they their competency is actually just making things right like the design the product is is kind of easy like when you hear like elon talk about the biggest problems with tesla it's not actually design it's not coming up with how to make the car work it's like manufacturing and affordability and so right um yeah it's kind of cool speaking of that i was watching a video on like what Elon does differently in all of his companies. Mm-hmm. And the biggest common element was that he brings everything in house. And like, it basically showed what a Tesla would cost if he wasn't like, manufacturing. Th- wasn't manufacturing like the batteries or like all these individual components. And same with like SpaceX, which is kind of, I don't know, just an interesting thought because like the kind of conventional wisdom is like, just do your core competency and mm-hmm. like, you don't make your own batteries. You're like a car company. Um, but he kind of flips that on his head, which is obviously incredibly difficult. But I think there's like a, we can make a connection to like what you and I've been talking about and going over recently. And it was that like, we've had like a lot of failures in terms of like outsourcing with like agencies and stuff yeah. like that. And I think like the agency idea often, like if you're trying to do like a specific thing, like it's called SEO, let's call it whatever. And you're like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. We're going to plug into their system. Um, but the issue is, is that often like the agency doesn't have like, for example, like the domain expertise or like know the exact nuances of your business. And so, although like the beginning, it might seem like easy turnkey and cheap, it's like you kind of eventually hit like ceilings. And so I've been like really focusing and thinking it's, there's this section, like, you know, there's this part of our business or there's this new channel we want to like use it's. And so it's, I've been looking at agencies and external support as this isn't how we're going to like fulfill this solution this is just how we're going to accelerate knowledge Mm. um but then at the end of the day the best case scenario is you bring it in-house and like you have someone that knows the nuances of your customer your business and is like fully in course like knows everything about it and then they're just acting on this like one channel um and so yeah yeah it's like the nuance and obviously they're just not going to care as much like yeah every agency like you have a call coming up, you notice all of a sudden they're like getting work done like the days before. <laughs> right. Like it, it's just like always going to be that way. And it's like, they're just not going to care as much as someone in-house. So I think, yeah, like you get the agency, you see what they're doing, you see what worked and you see like, if this was done better, like this would work. And then you try to build that in-house. For sure. And I think something that I've just been thinking about recently is if it's worth hiring an agency for. And so the idea of like, is like you're kind of buying fractional time of people. Right. So, if it's worth buying fractional time of people and it's going to be something that works, then it 
also is worth buying full time of people, right? right? Like if it's going to work, then there's no reason for it to be fractional. Like it's, if it's going to work, that means it can scale. That means there can be like more value extracted with like more time. Yeah. Yeah. It depends what it is. Like, let's say it's Google ads. Like, do you need to spend more? Do you need to spend 40 hours a week running Google ads for like a small software company? Like Definitely not. But that means that you could have someone that understands your Google ads working on another part of your right. business. And then the Google ads are completely aligned with whatever else like they're working on, whether right. it's like content or SEO or like supporting other other areas. Um, yeah, interesting to, to, to look about or think about mm -hmm. in terms of like we were talking about Instagram advertising. So I, I sent you an Instagram ad this weekend and I was just like, how cool is this? And I think both of us spend money on convenience quite a bit. And I got this mm. Instagram ad for gas delivery. And I was just like, wow, I fucking want this. As in like they come, they fill up your gas tank wherever it's parked and then leave. Um, especially like in Toronto where like gas stations are far and few between. I was just like, this is an amazing idea. I just don't know how they're going to make this work. Cause I look, I went to their Instagram profile and it costs $8 to, for like a one-time gas delivery. And then if you have a subscription, it's $24 a month. And it, that gives you like weekly. Is the cost delivery. of the gas higher? I feel like it must be. It's gotta be. You have On to think, you'd yeah. have to think that it's higher. Or at least they're getting some kind of a discount, like what the same as what the gas station makes plus the eight bucks. Well, what, so yeah, I, I'm curious like how much gas stations make on on gas, like what what their margins are on like what they're whoever they're buying it from. Potentially, this company is getting the same discount they're right. getting, that that you know right. the gas stations are getting, um, but they're not. You know, they don't have they don't have you know property tax. They don't have maintenance of the building and all that right. kind of stuff. So they actually might have more big on the gas than right. <laughs> so for, let's, I thought you sent that to me because I had mentioned it to you, to you before. No. Okay. So I've actually thought of this. Okay. Um, I wish I had talked about it on the pod, but when we were, when I was living in like a condo, I was like, one person could come with a gas tank and just fill up all these, like, especially in a condo building where like, if you signed up the building, maybe the, the like, maybe there is no even like extra, just right. that vig on the on the gas is enough, right. you know, if you're doing a whole building, it could be, um, a lot go driving to someone's house. Like, I don't know if that's going to be worth it for eight I mean, bucks. the way the, I mean, their ads, I don't even know where they're, where they're based out of, but their ads were like in suburban neighborhoods and that's where it didn't make sense to me. I right. was just like, okay, you're going to drive for eight dollars. Like that's less than an Uber Eats delivery. Right. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's work. It's called juiced fuel. I'm juiced sure there's fuel. like a bunch of these. I'm sure there's like some guy like selling some course on how to start up your own gas, gas delivery business or something like this is the next power washing um it's not a great it's not a great business it's not all. a great business i was just like i kind of want this this is great i hate yeah. the gas station yeah no i i despise it I especially like it now my truck's diesel and so Ugh. in toronto dude it's not all gas stations. not all gas stations have diesel which like blew my mind but i mean like the one near my house does so it's, right. it's fine but um yeah i hate going to the gas station okay Flowdesk is a company i came across um, so I saw this tweet that was basically just saying like, Hey, use, use Flowdesk for your email marketing. It's 39 bucks a month for unlimited contacts. And anyone that's done email marketing knows like email marketing, it, it always scales up with contacts. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. And like, if you've got a hundred thousand contacts, you're going to spend at least 500 bucks a month. And you know, that's just, that's just how it is. So this company, it's a flat $39 a month. Um, they are at $20 million of ARR in just four years, completely bootstrapped. 
two female founders. So I guess that's part of their like brand kind of, so it's 75% female company. Um, but I was just like, like the, the undercutting is so common in, um, like, I don't know, physical goods, like mm -hmm. towels, there's always going to be a cheaper towel company, but like with software, like email marketing, I didn't like somehow in my head, I didn't even think it could be 39 bucks a month for right. online. But yeah, it's just, it's software. There's no cost. Like, so I wonder what other, I mean, there is a cost on, on email sending unless they've built. Is there? Yes, dude. Like, like if you wanted, what do you mean? What's the cost? If you wanted to use, like if you built all of your sending infrastructure in house, like there's maintenance cost of your sending infrastructure. Like, haven't you went through all of this with Wizza? Like, isn't to, like the, isn't like, for example, like, didn't you have to go through like a hundred thousand dollar audit with Google? Like, yes, we, we had to do an audit, but that's not a variable cost. So there's no cost to send an email. There's no cost. Well, the way we were doing it was through Gmail. It's okay. not an email marketing platform. Okay. So I, I don't know for email marketing, but for, for cold email type sending your Gmail, no, there's zero cost. So it's actually a higher margin despite the kind of like audit yeah. security audit you have to go through. It's actually, you know, a higher margin business than, than leads were because there are costs on that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there are certain software tools that are just like known to be expensive. I mean, they're known to be expensive, but I've used budget email marketing. Like I, you, you recommended to me once MailChat and I tried that and like, yeah, that you, was you, not good. You use it for like, you're like, oh, this is so good when I'm signing up. And then you realize that they have zero support. There's literally shit broken in the app and they're missing like one feature where you're like, okay, like I can't actually do what I want to do because it's missing this feature. You have to get the product right because yeah, if, if, I always just back into it as well. It's like, I mean, I would never build a business like this because I've always, I've never found a lot of joy in making something cheaper. I find joy in like making something the best. And so like, if you have zero incentive to make it the best, you only have, like your only incentive is to make it cheaper Then, like your attention is going to making it cheaper. So you're figuring out, okay, how do we cut costs? How do we, you know, acquire customers for cheaper? It's not actually going into like making a good product. Yeah, unless you're, you're, I mean, could, could you not come in it at the same angle of making the best product possible, but not making it super expensive? No, because then you have to hire the best designers. You have to hire the best engineers. It all costs money. Like it's, it, it goes back in, like if everything could be free, like, you know what I'm saying? Like if everything could be free and could be the it best, be wouldn't free. that be great? Like, it's like, yeah, the answer is yes. But. Yeah. It can't be free, but I, I just think there's a lot of opportunity in like, there's just overpriced SaaS out there. <laughs> I think there's overpriced SaaS, yes. <laughs> I just don't know if saying our, our strategy, if you say that our strategy is to offer the budget solution, you are never gonna end up with the best product. Like, like what, is it, what is an example yeah, in, anywhere in the world where the budget solution mm -hmm. is also the best product? Because if you have the best product, Amazon. What do you mean? What do you mean Amazon? If I want to buy, I bought a scale on Amazon yesterday. Okay. It it's it was the best place for me to buy a scale and the cheapest. The best place to buy, but was it the best scale? Or you mean, but like Amazon's business is a little bit different. Like what other, what other companies do you spend a subscription on to then purchase from them? Like the only other option is like Costco, which is like the opposite of best product. It's like bulk. Right. I'm like, there's no example where, oh, the best version is also the cheapest. 
No, I think Amazon is an example of that. How is it? Amazon is, is a marketplace of sellers. Y yes, but it's the best. Their best value. There's a lot of times when it's the best value. No, but it's like, it's the fastest. It's the cheap, like their product or like, let's say the Kindle is probably the cheapest e-reader than like an iPad. I mean, it's that's different that's function. Different it's hard to compare. It's a different fucking product. It doesn't it, exist. It's hard to compare. <laughs> Just admit that if you're going to have the cheapest version of a product, like you're not going to be able to compete with the people. And if you're running a business and you're actively in the driver's seat and you say, we have the best product, why would you Why would you keep the prices as low as possible? There's, there's no well, incentive to that. If you if you find yourself only looking at a competitor matrix and you're like we are the best product and the cheapest right and you're like how do I grow the business it's like oh you should just raise your prices right because that means if, even if you raise your prices people are going to stay with you because you also have the best product right well it, it all depends where you're at I think like if you're trying to right now figure out something to start especially you want a software it's a good place to start these girls like two girls got twenty million ARR in four yeah, years yeah no it's, it's that that's awesome and. Would you rather have, but would From you rather here, have they can build, they can say, okay, you know, we're not the best email marketing tool right now. We're going to build the best email market. So they can choose to kind of go in that direction. And now, you know, making $20 million a year can fund tons of great engineers or and, it's and funding or it's funding support for like a hundred thousand customers that are worth nothing. Maybe like, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe like, I mean, they got 20 million AR bootstrap. That's an amazing feat. Right. I just don't know if it's like, Oh, like this is the playbook. Make the cheapest version of everything. Yeah, I mean, there's many playbooks. It, it go, it, there's many playbooks. Again, like I think if I were to think about what I would, what I would want to do, it's like I've never wanted to be the budget solution for anything. Mm -hmm. Like that just does not seem fun. So, okay, so here, here's what I've been thinking for a little while, um, and it kind of relates to another point, and it's kind of in line with this, which is like before I always wanted to like start a business to to make money and like make profit like that mm -hmm. was like the goal was like profit i'm you know we've talked about it not on the podcast because it's going to be in stealth but i i'm thinking of starting something new and i've realized now as i guess i've had like a, a success in business so you know kind of like different motivations what i really want is like a big business mm -hmm. like i really don't care about like the, the profit right now. Like I want to create something that does like a hundred million dollars a year in revenue, um, which is just like an interesting shift. And I feel like that's like a shift of like just enjoying like business and wanting to get as many like points as possible. Yeah. Not really caring about as much like how much like I make from it, but just like I want to build the biggest thing I possibly can. I think that's true, but I would say like, a lot of that perspective just comes from being like, I don't really need any more money. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. Like if, if you had like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm not, I'm not, say, I'm not saying money. you don't yeah, want more money. I'm saying like, it's like you, if you go from saying like, I need money to do X, Y, and Z into going, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. then it's just comes down to, okay, well, I want like a bigger business for like impact or like, ego or just like right. a challenge like right. okay I, I i've summited one mountain okay what's the other mountain? It's okay 100 million dollars a year um it's just like again like two different playbooks at two in like two different like journeys to go on um i've always respected but never wanted to be like the person who's able to have that perspective while being broke 
Mm, like, I yeah. don't think either of us are, yeah, are like I, that I, person. Like, that's right. like a whole different breed of person where they're like, I'm broke and I don't care about money and I just want to build the biggest business. Like, those are the guys that like right. build the biggest, like the biggest, biggest businesses. Right. I mean, there's outliers for all of those things. But um, I've always looked at those people and be like, okay, dude, like, I, I respect it, me. but like, I don't want to be, that's not me. Yeah, like, I do think most... I do think most business people, like it gets a lot of like, you know, the classic kind of story is like someone like that, you know, lives on the floor for like five years, um, doesn't spend any money and then becomes like wildly successful. But I do think like, if you look at most successful business people, they do spend a lot of money personally as well. Yeah, for sure. But, and I think also those like stories are like survivorship biases. I think there's a lot of at right. the end of the day, I would always bet on an entrepreneur that's been like, oh, I had like five profitable businesses first and now I'm taking my moonshot. 100%. I'm living a good lifestyle. Like I have nothing to worry about. Then like there is something you said about like hunger, scrappy, but it's just like there's a lot of people that are hungry and scrappy that literally just never get off the floor. Right. Um, I think that's, mo that's actually most. It's right. 99.9%. .9%. Right. So um, yeah, there's, there's like those weirdos that like actually want to suffer for like not that they don't want no reward, like they want to win and like mm. they want you know, they, they're competitive on a nature that just, they just don't derive as much value in the moment from lifestyle increases or like things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think what's, so I would get excited if I found a way that I could produce steel at 20% of the cost that, you know, steel normally is, okay. let's just say random, boring, Stevie steals, random, boring business just offering a lower cost that would excite me just the same as like making a better steel would. So I think like my, I really just want to build like the business that can make the most money possible, not necessarily the best steel, which might sound like whatever, but like that is like the, both of those things would, it excites me to make a better product because I think it'll help in the long term mm -hmm. that business make more money helps it's helpful to lower the price of product because i think in the long term that benefits the business as well so i don't agree you don't agree like i i just if i if you were to say to me that my main contributing value day to day is like in a spreadsheet <laughs> versus like in a lab i'd be like okay like i'd, I'd want to be in the lab even if it made less money mm. rather than a spreadsheet mm. um yeah i wouldn't care yeah no like i like <laughs> if if like i and I don't know, I'm very visual with like my, like, I just like, yeah. I can, like when you just talk about like an outcome, I have a complete picture in my head of what that looks like. And it's like, if it's comes, if it's like trying, when I look at all of my shortcomings or failures in business up until now, they happen from things like logistics or operations or finances. The things in which like end up being really, really good are like, or things that have worked out really well or like new ideas, zero to one mm. and and so I, and like maybe that should even just like a little bit of like a limiting belief of being of thinking oh that that's just not the kind of business but it also like what you're saying it doesn't excite me mm. you're like oh i can make i can make this type of steel for this much and, and would i want the money yes like if right. you're like hey give me this much money and i'll return this much I'd be like yeah that's great right but then i'd also want to just like spend my time in like an art studio being like oh i'm just gonna make some cool shit <laughs> 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 interesting yeah i mean kind of in line i was watching a a video from sam oven i'm curious what you think about this because we were talking about bootstrapping this week um 
And I always go back to his videos, even though he hasn't made a video in like four years, but I just love his stuff. And he was basically saying like, yeah, profits are, are actually a bad thing. Um, a, you have to pay tax on them. So it's not as efficient. It's obviously money not being invested back into the business. Um, same thing when we were considering raising, like same kind of like VC feedback of like, oh, do you not like, that must mean you don't have like any good channels. And like what you have now is like the most you can get. Um, and what you really want to optimize for is like long-term future cash flows. Um, and that's like the only thing that matters. See, but I've had a conversation with, with other people about this specifically. And they, what they said is like, you also need to know like what game you are playing and make and then when you're talking to specific people, you need to know, okay, what are their incentives based that, that is informing the thing that they're telling you. And so a VC, for example, often will make a lot of their money on your next round or something, right. you know what I'm saying? And so their incentive is saying, oh, you should be investing all your money because like they're making their money on your next round. Now, if you're running a business where you're thinking, okay, this is probably just going to get acquired by private equity, like having profits distributed to founders and, and investors is not a bad, they're like, oh, this is great. This actually, ha- this is a company that has like free right. cash flow. And so it's like t- to a million people, some things means- are good and some things are bad and they mean different things. Right. Um, and so I think it's just like understanding like, and it can change over time, right? Like at year one, like having profit can be really great because like that means you actually can then invest like safely in the next year without having to raise capital and like dilute your cap table mm. and whatever. And then it's like, but if you're coming up on a sale where you're getting a multiple on revenue, not EBITDA, it's like, that's one version. Right. And there's also like, if you sell, in, if you were selling in 2020, 2021, you shouldn't have any EBITDA. You're getting all your multiple on revenue. And like now it's like, okay, maybe you have to sell the private equity. Right. If you have zero EBITDA, you're fucked. Like you're right. getting a multiple on EBITDA. So it's like, there's, there's an answer that, completely is true about each solution around that um and i think it's also just like at the end of the day you built a business to make make the choice that you want to make right so what excites you just like raising a bunch of vc money and like just growing like wildfire um and like potentially never making a dollar and then it burning out it's like that if that like seems exciting to you then like that's exactly what you should do Mm. but if you're like oh i wouldn't want that as an outcome then you probably shouldn't do it Mm. yeah yeah that's fair but your plan is to raise for this new this new thing. Yeah, plan is to raise for the new thing. I think it requires it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I also just think you should like. Yeah, give it a shot. Yeah, it's a good notch in the belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brett Taylor. Um, so Brett Taylor was the guy that was supposed to be CEO of OpenAI, and then Sam Altman came back. He got rugged. He he got rugged. <laughs> But this guy is a crazy story. So this guy created Google Maps. He created um, FriendFeed, which sold to Facebook, which I didn't know what that was. He then became the CTO of Facebook. Then he created a company called Quip, which sold to Salesforce for $750 million. They made him co-CEO of Salesforce. Apparently, they just did the Quip acquisition. Like Their primary motivation was to get Brett Taylor. Wow. Which is like... It, it's That's like insane. a $750 million acquire. acquire. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest acquire ever. Chairman of the board of Twitter, um, on the board of Shopify. He created the like button. He spearheaded uh, Salesforce's acquisition of Slack. He f- apparently forced Elon to buy Twitter. Like he was the one that, that forced the deal. Um, I guess he's chairman of Twitter. Um, and he's 43 years old. What a 
what a what a series of accomplishments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was was your uh, point here to just make me feel like shit? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you got time, but he. Um, I was reading like people apparently described him as like a hundred times more effective than an average engineer, which like I don't even know how that's possible. And apparently, one weekend people went back into like Google Office, and over the weekend he had rewritten the entire Google Maps code to just make it like incredibly fast way faster I'm, I, I don't know it's something like over a minute um but yeah i don't know just how would you how, okay how would you define a hundred times more effect if you had to think about the engineers at wizza and you had to th- dream of a world in which they're a hundred times more effective what attributes qualities would you attribute to having a hundred x on an engineer yeah i mean i don't know when i think of 100x i just think of like 100 times more output <laughs> so like how would that how would that but 100x more output in the wrong direction is 100x you know what i'm saying like speed yeah is is one thing the way some things that i'm thinking about is like often what happens i think when you go to build a new product is like the product person their job is to think about every um nook cranny and like variable or like the impacts on the product um and then what happens is somewhere around 75 percent of the way you realize you built yourself into a corner or you're like fuck we didn't think about this or like how is this going to affect this part of the product i think when i think about a 100x engineer it's like there's like that gap of time that you would have wasted and then you have to like circle back it's Mm. like it's like having that level of vision that can even like think past the product people and be like oh this we should change this before we start anything Mm. because and it's almost like it's actually not accelerating from zero it's being able to look at 75 and then adjust like your trajectory at zero um to make sure that all of their output is going the right direction Mm. because i think like wasted time is actually the thing that matters and not necessarily how fast you're moving like if you just move in the perfectly right direction make the perfect right it doesn't you actually can move pretty slow right just make the right decision right and you never make a mistake right um that's what when you were like when i was like reading this i was like i think that's that's that type of guy i mean yeah yeah, i mean personally if you look at his like track record 43 years that's like 20 years in the workforce that's like so and he's just an engineer or he's like built companies yeah well he was co-ceo of salesforce he he founded that company quip which sold for 700 million okay he's doing pretty well yeah he's got a couple bucks um but so that kind of when i was just like reading about him a, a bit more led me down the rabbit hole of mark benioff founder of uh salesforce um i didn't know that much about him i know he's like kind of like a quirky guy or whatever okay but he so went to take to get salesforce off the ground he has some amazing stories um so in salesforce's first year there was a conference by from a company called siebel happening which was owned by oracle so i guess salesforce was like oracle's direct competitor um, at a time where like people were saying like the cloud was like the new thing mm-hmm. and Salesforce was like on the cloud. What do you think about the cloud? Do you think it's just <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got some legs. Um, so Salesforce, like, I, th- I guess that's why their logo is still a cloud. Okay. Um, but they were like this, like, you know, cloud CRM instead of like desktop software, I guess. Um, I don't know. I wasn't really alive back then. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, there's a Siebel conference happening. And so, and it's the year that Salesforce launches. So he hires a ton of fake protesters to stand outside. And they're holding these signs that are like these X'd out, like 
software and it's they're they're yelling like the internet is neat software is obsolete <laughs> <laughs> which is which is just hilarious so he has this massive gang of protesters okay. outside, and then he has a fake tv news crew that he hires to like be like covering it <laughs> so it's getting all this buzz and they have like salesforce logos and whatever um see will end up calling the police and it just got like got a ton of buzz around like salesforce's launch yeah thought that was like a hilarious you know guerrilla marketing tactic then siebel's having another conference in cons is how you pronounce it con 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 um canes so <laughs> siebel's having a conference in cons he what he does is you to get to cons you have to uh you have to fly into nice and then get a taxi. So he rents every single taxi I've in heard nice. this one. This one's fucked. This one's amazing. He rents every single taxi in Nice, fills them with Salesforce sales reps, basically. And in the 45-minute drive, they basically just pitch them on Salesforce the whole time, which is just genius. That's a genius idea. This That makes me think of... There's a story about Jesse Itzler when he um, bought Marquee Jet or started Marquee Jet. Um, he was like, okay, I need to like now go and sell. So essentially Marquee Jet was like a fractional jet ownership company. Mm. And so he had built this, I think he had built some sort of relationship with NetJets where they were leasing him his jets. And then he was selling fractional time on the jets through cards. Mm. And so the way that he got his first customer was he had heard about Ted and he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Ted conference. Like this is a bunch, these are a bunch of elites, people with money, people that would fly private. And so he gets to Ted and then he's like, oh fuck. Um, you need a ticket to get into TED. And like to get actually into a real TED conference, you can't just buy one, like you have to be invited. Uh, and so he's like stirring around being, okay, well I fucking came all the way here. I think it was in like Palo Alto or something. And he's thinking, okay, how do I get in front of people? And so what he notices is that there's a coffee shop right next to the TED conference. And then in the morning, every single person was going into this, I think maybe it was a Starbucks, a coffee shop and getting a coffee and like a muffin or a bagel. And so what he did the next morning is he went into that coffee shop and he purchased every bagel and muffin that they had. Oh, you're just getting mad at the way I'm saying bagel. Fuck you. <laughs> if you haven't watched the last episode at the end, apparently I say bagel wrong. Um, <laughs> and so he goes in and he purchases every bagel and muffin. <laughs> and muffin. <laughs> <laughs> um bagel bagel um and so the next day he's got this box of muffins and the b word and when someone he'll 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 just be at a side table and then when someone goes up he's like hey can i get a blueberry muffin like oh we're actually out and people are like what the fuck mm. and then he'll go up to that person and be like hey i heard you want a blueberry muffin. <laughs> I, actually, I actually have a few and um i can't remember who the who the per anyway he closed one deal and it was the first customer for uh marquee jet and apparently they did, they did business for like five years hmm. um, through that strategy. So that, that's that's fun. We were actually, at, um, with my team, we did this kind of like jam about, my like question was how to become the most known software company in Toronto. And then we were just like, had all of these ideas and a lot of them were fun. Um, and so we're planning on doing actually a couple of these. Like one of the ideas I had, it's not as good in the winter, was that I was going to just like do like a TikToks. So it's like also like, how do you do these guerrilla marketing tactics, but then use digital to like amplify, amplify them it. yeah and so one of the ideas i had was just i could like take the suron with the collected dirt, dirt bike i have and 
try to drive and knock on the door of every single agency in Toronto. And like, that's like a TikTok series. Like, hey, I'm going to try to break into every agency in Toronto. And it's just like a daily series. Um, and then you also think of agencies, like they like exposure too. Right. And so like, it actually could be like this thing where like agencies start calling you up and being like, hey, come do the thing with me. And then right. I was thinking like another cool idea about that. There's this like TikTok content trend where people who like, it's like this fake shit where people go up like, hey, can I see the inside of your apartment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, can I see go see the inside of your office? Like, where do you work? And it's like, oh, I work at... Cassette, like come see your office. Right. And, like, all the cool little things that they have their office. I thought that could be like actually mm, be like a pretty solid just like finding the time to like do something like that. Yeah. And like carving it out. Um but that shit's like super fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um another story kind of like that I came across was I mean, this is less like guerrilla marketing, more just like self-funding. But apparently Airbnb, they couldn't get like angel investment. Okay. So their idea was basically to sell like these political cereals. Have you heard okay. about this? No. So they made this cereal called like Obama O's. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah. And they had some other ones like McCain something. Apparently those didn't sell and they were like just eating those for like months <laughs> while they were building the company. But Obama O's did really well and they got them like their first 60 grand to like start building Airbnb. Wow. They just which, sold cereal. Yeah. Just cereal that was like O's and the packaging was like Obama O's. Damn, that's cool. One thing I tried to do this week, I tried buying a website. Okay. Um, so there's a one of the one of the website. I won't I guess I'll say. So one of the websites we're trying to buy is called swipefile.com. So we have like a product. Or domain. I'm trying to buy the website. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Which the domain would come alongside the website. Right, right. No, I wasn't sure what you meant, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Um and so this guy named like Neville uh Medora, he has like it's a like copywriting course and all this kind of stuff. And he has like swipefile.com, get like a, gets a decent amount of traffic. But we have a product called Swipefile. So I'm like, okay, it'd be cool to own swipefile.com. Mm. It's like, again, it's like copywriting inspiration, advertising inspiration, uh, as like a, it pretty much his own swipefile that he's like built like on a WordPress right. site or something. And it's got like a ton of backlinks. So they're going to try to buy this. And so I sent him in, actually sent an, uh, a message to like Sam Parr in Hampton. And then I was like, hey, because like, he, knew, he knew Neville, I'm like, can you make the intro? Um, and we were just like way apart on like numbers. Um, so it didn't work out. But, just like leads into like the next thing. Have you like have you heard that Andrew Tate bought university.com? No. You haven't? No. <laughs> okay. So I, I can't remember where I heard about this. It was either like an interview or like someone mentioned it on like a TikTok or something. But right now, if you go to university.com, it's like Andrew Tate selling his like Hustlers University thing or whatever. Um, which I just think is like the funniest yeah, thing in the entire world. Amazing. It couldn't be like the furthest thing from like what university as the word means 49 bucks um, a month and if you like go to the website it's just like this horrible like not it's actually a funny video um and he's def i'm sure he's like printing cash so, like good on him but um i just thought it was like funny that he was like able to acquire a domain like this and it's just like hilarious to think that this guy selling this like 49 dollar like drop shipping course where he also says he's going to teach you at ai <laughs> just how to use chat gpt like owns university.com yeah um and it just made me think like this is obviously like crushing it for him and because i looked up the, the previous sales of these of this domain so i he paid over a million dollars for it um for sure so it was previously sold so vpn.com sold it to tsunami vr in 2020 for 1.1 million so i'm assuming he, he paid more than 1.1 million for it um, but it just made me think that like i feel like online education is like such an easy play like it seems like so much fast cash but it seems like it's like a hard thing to sustain like a lot yeah. of these online education platforms it seems like they have this like massive rise and then they kind of like 
plateau or like you never hear about them anymore. Yeah. Like the one that comes to mind is like Masterclass as well. Like I'm, I don't know how the business is doing. I, I heard in a podcast recently, again, this, I couldn't find anything online about this, but Grant Cardone was mentioning how he was trying to buy Masterclass. And he's like, oh, they might be going into bankruptcy soon or something like that. And it's just and like- They're spending huge money. They're spending like huge money, like obviously like acquiring like the biggest names of every like top industry across the world. Um, but it's just like an interesting thing to, I, I'm trying to think of like an online education platform that's just like, continued to scale and like maybe the ones that continue to scale are the ones you never hear about yeah um well i feel like maybe like marketplaces yeah like skillshare so because then there's always like fresh content but yeah like i'd mentioned sam ovens earlier he built that i think to like 20 million a year right and it kind of all came crashing down at some point um yeah masterclass it's interesting because like they cover such a wide range of things but like have you ever had a master class subscription i have yeah i liked it when i had it I mean, to be fair, like the, the qu- issue with them is that it's not actually a masterclass. Yeah. It's literally like an interview. It's watered down. You can tell like they brought these guys in and they're like, here's what we made. Like, is right. there anything you want to add? Or like they sat down for like three interviews and then built it, the content based on that. Now they're just reading it from a teleprompter. Yeah. It's, it's you know, but I did, the, I did, uh, did Gordon Ramsay's. I learned how to uh, break down a chicken. Okay. Yeah. I did. I kind of. I think I did. I did the negotiation one. Chris Voss. Yeah, Chris Voss one. Um, I did the chess one, and oh, CEO of Disney. What the fuck his name is? Bob Iger. Bob Iger. He, okay, we got the name. We got the Rolodex over here. <laughs> um, and then I also did. There was one more. Oh, Starbucks CEO. What's mm. his name? Big guy. Um, it's Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. Yeah. So I did the. <laughs> I did those ones, <laughs> and it was good, but. Now I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to spend an hour like sitting or hours sitting down, like listening to, they're essentially podcasts. Like you'd learn way more yeah. from a podcast and it's, it's just like a one way thing of them just like speaking. So it's yeah. like, there's no clarification, there's, you know? I mean, it's probably good. Like the Chris Voss is probably like, I read his book mm-hmm. a few years ago, but like when they have a full book with like everything outlined, like I'm sure the course is like solid. Cause it's just like trimmed down version of that. But yeah, like why do I need to sit there and watch him like explain it? Like, and watch his face yeah and they're also just like overproduced like sometimes i feel like when you overproduce something it just like dilutes the information like often the best content is like a sam ovens video where it's like he's standing in front of a whiteboard and messing up and then clarifying himself and Uh, yeah talking about his babies (laughs) i was watching one today which we've talked about a lot but he is it's called like uncoding the billionaire's mindset and I'm just like, man, this video just wouldn't fly these days. Like the, the YouTube algorithm would just shut it down. He's on a whiteboard and then he's like, oh shit, how am I going to fit more here? <laughs> and it's like, he's out of space. He's like, what if I go here? And he like goes to the side and he's like, he's really trying to like figure out how to like even fit it on the whiteboard for like two minutes. And I'm just like watching this and I'm yeah. like, um, but yeah, yeah. Was, was, is there any like video or book that like stands out in your mind as being like a very transformative or eye-opening book book or video or like- yeah like um i don't know there's a few that come to mind i i watched one video i think it was from someone at intercom that was like just a keynote for me keynotes really resonate the most and it was just like a 20 minute keynote and it was basically explaining how like it's that whole jobs to be done framework yeah, yeah. and it was explaining competitors and 
I don't know. I always just like think about this, but like they did a research study for Snickers and they were trying to figure out how to sell more Snickers bars. And they were like, oh, our competitors of Snickers is like Kit Kat, Milky Way, chocolate bar, like whatever, these other chocolate bars. Um, And then what they did in the research is they went to a gas station and interviewed people that were buying Snickers and said like, what, what were you like, what were you considering? If not a Snickers, what would you have gotten? Um, And what they found was like, it was never any of the other chocolate bars. And what it actually was, was like an apple or like a, like a Starbucks shake thing from the Mm. thing or like a granola bar. And what they found was like, yeah, the, the way that people buy Snickers is actually like they're hungry and they're on the go and they have a meeting. Like when they ask them like Mm. what, what like job to be done. And so their competitors were like an apple, a banana, a, a drink, like, and so it's like you you don't look at your competitive landscape of like who does who has the most similar product. It's who fits the job that your customer right. is trying to be doing. So like your biggest competitor might actually just be like Google Docs, right? And not like these other competitors you might think of. And so like that's always stuck in my mind as as pretty um, transformative. And that's actually where Snickers through that study they came up with you're not you when you're hungry, which mm. is what they they still use I like those commercials are good yeah then i think they've been running it for like 20 years snickers are my my chocolate bar of choice yeah yeah i like it it depends i've never thought about having an apple or a snickers though to be no fair. no it's like i want a snickers have you bought us do you, do you buy snickers not often i'm not like gluttonous <laughs> <laughs> but like if i'm like on a road trip and i'm like i'm gonna get a chocolate bar it's 100 percent gonna be a snickers yeah 100 like you know what's you're hungry um chocolate bar i don't know i think i very i don't know i feel like you're aren't you a candy guy actually actually my favorite chocolate is a bueno you know those like i know exactly what you're <laughs> saying i can't i don't even know what to say why it's the most insane thing I've ever heard why of. it's the most insane thing i've ever heard in my life why it's just insane it's amazing and you know why because there you have so many ways to eat it you can break it off and just eat one you can break it and then remove the 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 flooring Okay. And and then eat it. You can remove the flooring and just get like the inside and then eat it. <laughs> there's like, you've got so much variation in this I pack. Do, I and do that with two. Ferrero Rochers. You do what? So the Ferrero <laughs> Rocher, there's a bunch of ways to eat it. One, okay. you could just go pop in your mouth, bite down, yeah, that's go all, all, all the way. Or you can try to remove it layer by layer. <laughs> so you try to get the nuts off first and then you try to get the chocolate and then you try to get the wafer and then you suck off the internal chocolate and then you get just get left with the hazelnut. And and sometimes you're very good at what do you don't laugh at me as if you're not talking about dissecting a fucking bueno. <laughs> yeah. Which but, is the most unpopular chocolate bar in the entire no, fucking it's world. Not. Next to three musketeers. It goes <laughs> it goes bueno, three musketeers, and then some other fucking bullshit. Like absolute shit not shit like it's just like i would never it's go amazing. in like i'm gonna get a fucking bueno it's amazing you ever de-skin a grape oh i i've shown you the de-skin grape thing we you were didn't t- show i've been dude, doing that since i was like two dude i'm telling you i was with you when i showed you how to de-skin a grape and it's the most amazing thing in the oh, entire world. and the one thing i had thought was like if i was ever a billionaire the thing i would have is like someone de-skinning grapes yeah 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 100 mm-hmm. percent would Imagine you not? that job. Yeah, but they have to like bite it. Like their mouth no, is all over No, they have it. tools. Have you never seen those little, they do. They have these little tools that go on your thumb because de-skinning grapes is like a thing that they'll do in kitchens. And like there is a tool for it. 
Oh. Yeah, it's like it kind of looks like a sharp little mini spoon that kind of like hmm. ASMR. Um <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what else you got. Anything else? No, do you have any do you have any books or things oh. that set out? I mean, this is like super cliche, but like four hour work week was like a big one. Hmm. Four hour work week, unleash the power within Tony Robbins. Four hour work week was cool because it showed me that you could just like build like small businesses in a way that mm. was like, I actually remember when I started reading it, I was, I, I can't remember if I was still in university or just dropped out, but I would take the go train home to Brantford. And I remember like when I first started reading it and like, I like read the first page in the go train and then I was just like in the car and I just like read the entire thing. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my entire life that like you could have these like VAs around the world, like running your entire business. And like, you could do like affiliate market. Like I was just like, wow, this is the most like eye-opening thing I've That's... ever learned in my entire life. Dude, I had the exact opposite experience. I remember hour hearing four hour work week, four hour work week. And similar, I was like in university and I was listening to the audiobook, and I was like, this is trash. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is, the, how is this good? I was like, there's some cool ideas, but I was like, this is a, I don't know. It just felt so weird to me for a book to be like so specific with like these like I also things. think that like it was a refreshing thought for me that someone was so intentional about their life. Like it wasn't even like I wanted exactly what he had. It was just like, oh, wow, this guy like thinks through every single part of his life. And I think at the time I was like trying to figure that out and I was hmm. and I was around like a lot of people that weren't doing that. And so part of it mm. might have even been that like, okay, wow, this guy's so intentional. Everybody that's surrounding me is the opposite of intentional. They're literally just kind of like going with the flow. Mm. And so I think a lot of it was even just like resonating with like how intentional he was about the choices he made and like how like much he was thinking through kind of the decisions, like what he spent his time doing and things like that. And I mean, to be fair, like the things that the book taught, I'm like the opposite of now. Like I'm, right. I just like work all of like it's like right. a four hour sleep week um, right. rather than rather than that. But yeah, I think I never thought of it like in reflecting on it right now. So I think it was actually just like the intentionality right. of just like choosing. Yeah. Um, kind of in that vein, I think the best thing I ever did for like myself personally was when I was, whenever I was working out, like when I was younger, maybe like starting in grade 12, mm -hmm. I would listen to like, motivational soundtracks while yeah. I worked out because I was already addicted to working out. So I was already there every day. Um, and I don't know. I just think that like gave me so like, I think I had like a definitely like wanting for like to do like business entrepreneurship, whatever. But I think that like fired me up and put me in. That's why I never liked the advice of like Gary V's like, oh, you have so much time. Like it put me in such a state of like, you're in a rush. Like I used to listen to like Tony Robbins, like Les Brown, ton of these, tons of these guys. And like, it was like, it put me in such a state of a rush that I was like, I can't wait till the end of university. Like I need to like go now. Right. Um, so I think that just broadly was probably the best like thing I did for myself. What's funny is I was like a very early listener of Gary Vee and his messages changed so drastically. And if you actually reverse engineer what he's saying now, I think that it's a product of him trying to go broad rather than what he actually believes mm. in a lot of ways. And so for him, it's like, what's okay. Those motivational speeches, like if you, 
if you show them to 99% of the population, people are like, wow, this is cringe. If you right. like, show them to us, we're like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> oh, yeah. this is like, take me to the beach, <laughs> hold them underwater, like, you know, like that fucking one, yeah, yeah, hold, yeah. hold me under the water. Oh, like, best one. like o- o- honestly, the best one. And so for him, like, if you look at this old stuff, it was like very aggressive, like, like you fucking loser, like, yeah, you know, yeah, stop yeah. being lazy. And now he's just like this, like nice guy or whatever. But yeah. It's, like, did he wait a little bit later in life? Yes, but like the internet wasn't actually a thing. And so it's like, he also like yeah. built like massive businesses and it's just like, he, he also lives the opposite of what he like preaches. And again, like I, I'm not hating like idol. I actually like, I like him. Like he's just like, yeah. a, whatever. Um, but I think that like a lot of his messaging is just like, how do I get the most shares? Right. How do I make people feel the best about themselves? Right. Which if his actual, if his goal is, volume of impact it's actually probably the best right like at the end of the day it's way easier to like teach a hundred thousand people how to like make an extra 10 grand a year than it is or like to motivate them to do that than it is like density of impact which is like motivate one person to like build a massive business which right. is like the other side of the coin right. and so i just think he's just like looking at it as an opportunity and like i think his mission if that is his mission then it's like good like right that's valuable to society right it's just like doesn't resonate with me yeah it's yeah. like, like, if you if you could choose to get rich quick or get rich slowly, there's no reason. Like, there's not really a reason to get rich slowly. Yeah. Like, there's no benefit to it because at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, there's small like, there's small examples of why you wouldn't want that to happen. Like, if your if your value if the value you're receiving isn't directly correlated to the work you're or you're outputting or like the value you're outputting, and you have like this like you got rich like with crypto. Like that could have some like negative, but if you're building a business and you get rich quick, like right, you act, like you still went down the path. So right. it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. All right, well, let's close to close it off. Yeah. <laughs> close it there. Okay. All right. See you next week. See you next week.